0: Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award winning Hospital Finance Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Paul Keckley, Managing Editor of the Keckley Report and a healthcare researcher and widely known industry expert. Paul's been a friend of the show for several years and has always been willing to share with us what he sees as major trends in healthcare for the coming year. And he's back today to share his thoughts for 2022. Paul, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it.
0: So, Paul, we always talk big picture with you and I I think one of the biggest picture uh, items we can talk about are some of the major policy shifts uh, within the regulatory environment that you see coming in 2022. Can you explain them to us?
1: Yeah. I mean, you start with uh, the current composition of Congress in the white house and to support um, Biden folks are center left uh, leaning in their policy framework. So, Uh, Medicare for all is not on the table, but expanded access becomes a mantra, especially going into the 22 midterm election, uh, where they're likely to lose control of the House. The average uh, first midterm for a sitting president is to lose 28 seats of their party. So we suspect this will be uh, a Republican House and potentially a Republican Senate. So that means the policy levers you have to pull are going to be very short term. You've got about a year to pull off as much as you can. So what's that look like? Probably um, continuation of the price transparency policy um, that took effect January 1, 21, the uh, Hending, uh No Surprises Act, subject to the court challenges, uh, which has the administration's support and obviously some pushback from hospitals and doctors. Uh, they'll lever um, the Federal Trade Commission to be much more aggressive about consolidation. Um, there's a strong belief inside HHS and inside the FTC that consolidation among hospitals has been particularly uh, disadvantageous to competition and hurt consumers and so on. Um, Ironically, incremental policy shifts on drug pricing, uh, though highly popular with the public, um, it's very clear the pharma industry Uh, pulls out all the stops to uh, resist changes. So there will be some movement toward an inflation-adjusted ceiling on price changes for certain classes of drugs. But this wholesale um, drug price controls or linking prices to an international uh, median comparison or uh, even changing some of the patent laws don't appear to be uh, possible. And I guess lastly, um, the policies that are most important to this administration will advance uh, access in underserved populations. So equity is uh, kind of the holy grail in the Biden team, and everything you do has to reflect attentiveness to um Making sure underserved populations, uh, populations of color, and so on, get more than their share of access to the healthcare system, but that's that's just kind of it at a high level. Every day, there's something new.
0: That is very true, um, and of course, there are some environmental trends that challenge healthcare as well. What do you see there, Paul?
1: Um, I guess the role that the technology companies are playing um, to the extent that they become major disruptors in the system around aggregating data or controlling data or facilitating interoperability, which has kind of been uh, not achieved too well in the past 10 years. I think that's part of an environment that we never... Really anticipated when um, healthcare was being conceived in its current form. Um, I think a second is the amount of private equity that's flowing into the system. Um, private equity has raised about 200 billion more this year to make bets. Um, healthcare is a very attractive industry for bets of private equity and of venture capital um, because it grows and it seems to defy economics most of the time. So I think the role private investment is playing is a second environmental factor that um, I'm not sure the system was really uh, as sensitive to through the years. Um, There's some more that are subtle, like the extent to which uh, employers might be pulling back from taking most of the risk of the healthcare system to taking less risk by pushing more of that risk to their employees or limiting their benefits, or in some cases exiting health benefits coverage altogether. Um, And there are probably a lot of others, Mike. I I kind of, when I think of, Healthcare in a macro sense. What happens in the technology market is something I follow closely. What happens in the capital markets is something to be followed. The consumer's appetite for changes to the system is one that's a head scratcher because the system gets kind of a C minus overall from consumers for being affordable and transparent and all the stuff that people talk about. And yet three out of four don't want to see the system change dramatically. They just want to see improvements to the status quo. So uh, health care can't operate in the future uh, as an island unto itself. It's going to have to establish itself and its value proposition and its role uh, much more clearly to um, populations that heretofore it just viewed as payers or users, and without much uh, influence. I think those non-healthcare populations are growing in their antipathy toward the healthcare system.
0: Yeah, definitely more environmental factors than uh, one could count, and perhaps another one that we'll we'll dig into now. You and I uh, had just discussed a little bit about the November CPI. Uh, numbers and you were you were digging into that report so i'm interested in your thoughts on how um, inflation is likely to affect healthcare uh, in 2022
1: yeah um you know this was uh this last month's report was the 39 year high for a lagging 12 month increase prices 6.8 percent and when you peel that data back it was largely fuel costs that drove most of that with food closely behind. But when I looked back at where medical services costs, so the way the CPI is constructed, you've got medical commodities costs, which are supplies and drugs and things like that. You got medical services. Uh, medical services cost increased 2.1% uh, on the heels of a 3% increase in 2020 and a, a 5% increase in 2019. So the reality is that the CPI is being driven higher, and consumer prices driven higher by factors including healthcare operating cost, our labor cost, our cost of turning the lights on. and It's not our drug cost and things that we're prone to beat on. Uh, it tends to be the way we operate, and I think that really. Uh, stands out in the current report. When you look back 12 months, 24, 36 months, and then you look forward, and you know that there's a workforce shortage, that everybody in the healthcare delivery system is uh, facing a certain amount of workforce burnout to some extent, and there's an especially uh, difficult situation brewing among our hourly employees and our mid-level employees who are not only increasingly in short supply, but the labor market is strong for them. They are able to find uh, employment in other industries, and some would say not have to put up with health care. So um, that's what came out of that CPI report. It was fascinating to dig into the data and realize um, we're going to be hearing about this. The Fed is meeting this week, this Wednesday. It'll be on their radar. They're going to essentially accelerate the bond uh, purchasing program to $30 billion a month, which means they'll raise interest rates in March. So you've got a combination of inflation going into 2022, high, higher consumer prices, higher interest costs, which means uh, the folks in healthcare that want to raise their prices uh, better be very careful and many are going to pay a higher operating cost for their debt um, simply because the Fed is going to push that to kind of slow down inflation. So it's going to be a complicated time.
0: Yeah, and of course, we're recording that here at the end of December. So we'll see what they ultimately do and how things um, yeah. play out. But um, it's uh, it's it's going to be uh, probably a turbulent year ahead economically, it feels like. Yeah, at
1: least the first six months uh, we have to imagine that interest rates bump up at least 25 basis points or more, and we have to assume that inflation is going to continue in the uh, 3 to 5% range. Uh, UBS and others have forecast it might be as high as 7%, uh, so we're going to have a bumpy at least first half.
0: All right. Well, let's talk about something you mentioned before, and that's the Surprise Billing Act. Uh, Enforcement is supposed to begin January 1st. Uh, What will that look like and what should providers be doing about it if they're not doing something already?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's really interesting because uh, it's a popular bill with Congress and with uh, consumers the notion that you shouldn't be surprised when, for instance, your emergency room doctor is out of network, but the hospital emergency room is in network and that uh, you can get billed for the out of network difference. Um, So what the bill basically does is it said we're going to create a mechanism for making consumers aware of the network status for their providers and Um, a remedy where they're hit with a bill they didn't expect. And that remedy is set based on how insurers have set payments for in-network rates. Well, where doctors and hospitals have pushed back is they've said the insurance companies don't pay enough for this stuff to start with. So they oppose the no surprises act, not because they don't uh, acknowledge that the surprises need to be at least limited, but because what they're going to be reimbursed is set by insurance companies rather than by something that uh, the docs and hospitals think they should be paid. Now, what this is going to do, it'll go through a court proceeding and it'll delay implementation, I suspect, but not by much. This is not a law uh, like the price transparency rule uh, that's going to get pushed back very far. So what people have to do is recognize The protocols for alerting uh, patients to your network status for both emergency and non-emergency utilization have to be in place by January 1. You have to have that mechanism in place to alert them. And you have to uh, provide good faith estimates of what that uh, difference of cost might be to them. Uh, It's likely that this is going to stand as written. Uh, I doubt the uh, hospitals and doctors will uh, win their challenge because uh, the insurance companies provide a bona fide basis for that uh, median network rate, which um, many in the third party payer world would say is adequate to pay services. So it's again uh, Shia Sunni conflict. It's insurers versus providers.
0: <clears throat> well, nothing, nothing new there, I suppose. Nothing new. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, my last question for you, Paul, and unfortunately it, it still kind of hangs over us a bit, and that's COVID. Um, how do you see that impacting healthcare in twenty twenty
1: two? Yeah, I mean we we crossed eight hundred thousand deaths. Uh, plateau this week and um, Delta is still a variant with uh, a certain amount of unknown uh, complexity so what we know for sure is that um, hospitalization is now highly regionalized the Northeast and the Great Lakes getting hit hardest right now but the variant tends to move aggressively Uh, I believe The um, variant will be manageable through the current vaccine cocktails that we have uh, by the second quarter of the year. That's when we would expect north of 70% of the population to have uh, all three shots. And now we're in a management mode. What does it mean for the healthcare system? Uh, We knew in the first three months uh, of COVID-19, uh, wave one, um, elective procedures were down 46%. But by the end of the year, uh, 2020, all, all of that volume was recovered. So I think there'll be a dip in cash flow, but we'll recover. Um, I think the bigger questions about um, the pandemic preparedness and the next variance is whether we learn any lessons. Uh, the communication in the first and second waves has been horrible. In, there's been confusion between NIH, CDC, the FDA, uh, and we're going to face kind of a moral imperative to play a much bigger role in the world's availability of vaccines and tests, which we have not done. Uh, we've not been an active participant uh, as other countries have been. So uh, I'm expecting that uh, we're looking at it through the second quarter of the year as an active part of the public health uh, strategy. But at a policy level, uh, we're stepping back and doing things like how do we step up our interventions in developing countries How do we integrate public health programs with local health systems uh, much more effectively? Uh, And how do we get the CDC, the NIH, the FDA to be on the same page and speak with one voice?
0: Paul, I always learn something new when you and I chat. And I want to thank you so much again for coming back to the show today.
1: Thank you, Mike. Always enjoy it.